wow. Just like half of them left. <laughs> you know, it's a wonderful thing, though, to see all the young kids and just the next generation uh, coming up. So, yeah, it's just a blessing to see that. Uh, it, you know, my heart is heavy this morning, and I got a lot to share, so we're just going to dive right into it. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to go to, you can grab them, and we're going to go to an Old Testament story. Uh, one of the few stories that pertain to a woman. Uh, you may be able to guess it, but we're going through the book of Esther. And maybe with the title of my sermon, that could have gave it away too. But we're going to Esther. Um, if you have a pew Bible, it's page 418. We'll get you, get you right there, uh, pretty close. Uh, it, they're in the pew there. If, we've said this many times, but if you don't have a Bible, you're here. Uh, we want you to take that one. That's yours to keep. So we really want um, everyone to have a Bible, and it's powerful. So, so this event in Esther happened 500 BC, so 500 years before Christ, and we're in Persia here. We're in Persia, and, and the king, um, the king Xerxes, is is a wealthy king. He's, he's wealthy in Persia, and he's throwing this feast. He's throwing this feast, and it, it, goes, it goes 180 days for the first one. Yeah, half a year. Can you imagine partying for half a year? I mean, I don't think my boss would let me off that long. But yeah, yeah partying and, and feasting for half a year, and, and then uh, following that, another seven days with uh, just the people inside of the kingdom. And at the end of that, well, I want to read this. Esther 1, verse 7. It says, drinks were served in gold goblets of many designs. And there was an abundance of royal wine reflecting the king's generosity. Now, uh, they claim this time, this era in Persia, there, it was a wealthy time. Just, just no shortage of wealth. Everyone had plenty. There was not many people on the streets homeless. And, and there was just, the, the kingdom for sure was just booming with wealth. And it was known, I mean, they said right here that the drinks were served in gold goblets of many designs. Nowadays, like, I don't know about you guys, but I remember growing up and having different, different color cups, different design cups, different styles, uh, shapes. And, and um, back then, if you had, um, or sorry, I, that was kind of considered poor, being poor, in poverty, if you had um, the same kind of cups. Nowadays, everyone wants to have matching, right? Everyone wants to have matching sets, and, and, and it's, you're considered almost, uh, you know, down, look down on if you don't have matching sets. Well, if you, if your cupboards look like ours and have different shapes and sizes, I didn't bring different shapes and sizes as much, but um, you're in good company here in Persia. They had plenty, um, so the queen, so here at the end of the seven-day uh, fe uh, feast, Queen Vashti was invited to be part of the king's, the kingdom, and to be part of the party, and she refused. She refuses to come. Well, this does not uh, please the king, right? And there seems to be a little bit of a falling out with the king. And... She wasn't uh, the only wife, as we find out reading through. I'm going to skim through Esther because I got a lot I want to share. So I'm just going to give you a backstory of what's all happening here, and we're going to pick and uh, we're going to go through this. So uh, she she was not the only wife. It was believed that there were many wives, and she was just then uh, she was just then told to go back to the common wives and maybe never seen again by the king. Uh, so this did not please the king at all. Um, 
but she was one that pleased the king the most and which made her queen. So she was queen and she was removed and she was taken away. And now we're in chapter two and in chapter two, we're introduced to Hadassah, Queen Esther. Well, not queen yet, but Hadassah. And, and she, she, her family, a little bit of history uh, um, with her. It's believed that her family was taken by potentially Nebuchadnezzar, uh, took back in Daniel where they took uh, Jerusalem and took captive a bunch of Jews. And it was believed that her family was included in that. Some believe maybe her mom would have died at, at, when she was born. Um, but I would just want to quick give a snapshot of who she is. And she's being taken care of her cousin, Mordecai. She is an orphan. She's an she's a orphan and she's a foreigner. Right, and she's a little girl. Believed in this time, this era, one of the most vulnerable people that you could be. Mordecai is taking good care of her, though. Right, when there's a vacancy of the queen, there's an empire-wide gathering of young women. They they gather all the women. Hey, said the the empire um, king's officials, and they were like, Hey, why don't we instead of gathering the wives that we have and choosing a new queen? Why don't we go out and let's gather a whole new batch of concubines, if you will, and let's, let's purdy them up, right? Let's gather them, and, and then let's, let's present them before the king, and let's let him choose a new wife in the midst of a new group of young girls. So this goes out. They proceed to do this. Um, they want to gather a whole new one. So, so young women are gathered to Shushan, and they're lined up, selected to be part of this. And, and one is going to, be, um, going to be picked to be queen. And I love it because this, this book of Esther, is it, there's so many twists in it. Like, you may know the story, may know the story, but if you don't, like, they could easily make a, a, a today's age, like, movie out of this. And, well, they have. They made movies of Esther. But... But there's just so many twists and turns in it. And if you don't know the story, I encourage you to read it all. It's just fascinating what all happens, the twists that happen. So, so the, the one that you least expect here, you know, a woman uh, that perhaps on exile, a little girl that's an orphan becomes queen. The center of the book, however, chapter 3 through 7, because uh, there's, there's 10 chapters in Esther. And 3 through 7 really focuses on a conflict where Esther kind of takes a back seat. Now, she's very much involved with the narrative here, but, but she takes a little bit of a back seat. And her guardian, Mordecai, um, her guardian, her cousin, is, is a follower and faithful to God and also faithful to the king. Now, Haman, Haman is introduced, and he, he's promoted up the line in the kingdom until he's the right-hand man, right? And he's cunning, and he's constantly trying to elevate himself and constantly trying to satisfy himself. And it becomes these two characters that wage back and forth the, the center part of Esther. They war back and forth. Now, just a short time um, Later here, if you have your Bibles, chapter 3, verse 5 in Esther reads, um, let's see here. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down and show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned that Mordecai, learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough just to lay hands on him alone. Instead, he took 
He looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. Now, just a short while later, going down to verse 13, dispatches were sent by swift messengers into the province of the empire, going or giving the order that all Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated for on a single day. Did you hear that? On a single day. Like, what, what are they to do? To be, to be annihilated on a single day? You begin to read the, the rage and understand the, the hatred towards the followers of Jehovah. And the edict, it goes out. The law goes out. And it's across the board. The contrast between Haman and Mordecai, you know, becomes more distinct as each proceeds to, with their own chosen strategy. Mordecai, he fasts and he laments, he prays <clears throat> oh, while Haman sits back to drink. And Mordecai, he reveals his faith as Haman shows his pursuit of self. <clears throat> Excuse me. A life and death struggle has developed. And we would have, you know, like who would have known? Like this, this, this seemed very hopeless, very hopeless in, in their eyes. <coughs> From a human standpoint, this whole situation was hopeless. And sometimes I think we find ourselves in a situation that where it feels hopeless, right? Remember the laws <clears throat> the laws of the means of Persia that cannot be provoked. When the king says, you know, it's a law, it's a law, right? The Persia, the Persia king has ordered it to be done. And the Jews, that the Jews ought to be killed, annihilated, right? Destroyed. And there's no hope. But be, behind the scenes, as often is the case, God is moving, right? God is moving. Unknown, the Mordecai, <clears throat> unknown, excuse me, unknown to, to Esther, unknown to himself, king, uh, the king cannot sleep. God puts a pause button on his sleep and he cannot roll over enough times. So he calls, he calls for stories to be made or to be read <clears throat> stories uh, of things that happened in the past. So they come and they read these scrolls to him <clears throat> of the history of things that happened. And what do you know? A story of Mordecai is read of him doing something to save the king, right? And it's, it's, it's ironic because Haman was just planning on coming that morning to the king and to get permission to get Mordecai killed. Mordecai shows up and, and the king asks, like, was there anything done for this man, for his right doing? Nothing. <clears throat> the king's talking to Haman and he's like, what, what should I do for someone that really pleases me? What should I do for someone that I delight in? And, and, and he's thinking like, oh man, he's talking about me. So he's like, oh, well, I want this and I want that. So, hey, what I would do if I was you, you know, I would set this up and, you know, ride through town. And, and, and he does, all, he names all this stuff, right? Put the jacket on and, and, and really be recognized by the king. And uh, the king's like, oh, that's a good idea. All right, do that for Mordecai. He's like, what? Are you serious? I mean, I, some people say, like, with the whole dream thing, what a coincidence, right? I say, what a God. What a God. The timing, you know, when, 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 when they thought there was no hope, 
You know, God intervenes, right? He shows up. <clears throat> so the king wants to know. It's king, so they do this. And, and I believe God's saying through this, like, I'm still in control. I'm still in control, no matter what the situation. And, and, and maybe this is a little bit mini-sermon, thanks to Bruce. Um, sorry not to steal any thunder, but mini-sermon here. In the midst of a backdrop of this story, God, God will take care of you. You know, even when you can't see him, when you can't hear him, because as many as people, as, as many of you guys may know, the book of Esther is one of the only books in the Bible that does not uh, even mention God, doesn't give a reference about God. If you don't believe me, read it. Read it yourself. What does that mean? What is it saying? Not mentioning him. I believe what it's saying is, is that when, <clears throat> when you can't see or hear him, when he feels hidden, when your prayers don't seem to be going any higher than the roof in that you're praying, higher than the ceilings, the book of Esther is shouting, God is still taking care of his people. He's still on the throne. So there you go. Always trust in him, even when you can't hear him. Thank you. I know. I, I apologize. Just late last night, like, I had this tickle in my throat, <clears throat> and I just started coughing. I had a cough drop right before I came up, but it's not doing it. Appreciate it. Probably the, one of the most famous verses in, this, in the book of Esther <clears throat> happens when, when, they, when Mordecai is in a stressful and really difficult time. It's overwhelming for him. He has, <clears throat> he's received the decree from Haman that he set up, the new law. It goes out in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 3. <clears throat> And as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, wept, and wailed. And many people lay in burlap and ashes. Why? Why did they do this? Because it's a terrible decree, right? They, 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 they're desperate. They're crying out. Every province. It became an empire-wide pandemic. It affected everyone. Everyone came under this order. Everyone came under this. It went across the board. And does that remind you of anything else? Anyways, let's pick up in, in, in verse 3, or 13, sorry. Mordecai and Esther, they're having this little conversation back and forth, a little texting back and forth via carrier, right? The man's running back and forth with the message. Verse 13 in chapter 4, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the in the place, in the palace, you will escape when all the Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Do you hear Mordecai's faith? Like he knew, like he, he said, another um, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise in another place. Like he must've said like, Hey, I, I read the prophets. I heard the prophets. I read the prophecies. Like he knew the Messiah is going to come from there, from the Jews and, and, and knew that he was going to, that, that somewhere someone's going to rise up and they're going to be delivered. He read them and, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to think about how Satan was, was always trying to ruin God's plan, right? From the very beginning all throughout, and he's still trying. We can't let him ruin God's plan. So Mordecai, he knew that they would be delivered. Deliverance would come. 
And, and the next part, I, just, I love it. I just love it. He, continuing there, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? Who knows, Mordecai said. You know, what if in his unlimited, if God in his unlimited knowledge of past, present, and future, you know, moves in such a way that you are who you are for such a time as this? Who, who, who knows, he says, like, if, if God gave you your, your facial features for a reason for this, for such a time as this, Mordecai is prophetic in his words, in his words. What if God moves as chess pieces, putting you in places, in, in positions, in neighborhoods, in workplaces, right? What if you banked at the bank that you bank with because he wants you to reach someone there? Or he puts you in the neighborhood that you live in because he wants you to be a light there. Or what if you work where you work, not just to earn a living, but because he needs you to be a light and needs you to reach someone there. Who knows, Mordecai says, if you have come to a position for such a time as this. And in the midst of the pandemic here, the crisis, God says, I raised you up, put you where you are to make a difference. To make a difference. Esther recognizes God's voice through her adopted father and her response. I love it. Her response. Verse 15, continuing. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three nights, for three days or nights. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. And if I must die, I must die. Some versions say, if I perish, I perish. I like that saying a little better. <laughs> but, but it's interesting. He, she doesn't even, I'm telling you, like, they, they leave out every reference to God. Like, she doesn't even mention fast and prayer. Like, she just says to go and fast. It's code. They knew, like, to pray and fast. Her testimony is powerful. It's powerful. In hard times, in crisis, she says, I will go and I will pray first. And when prayer has happened, then I will take action. She says, then I will put my life on the line. There seems to be, it's interesting because there seems to be a little bit of a cooling off between the, the queen and the king because it sounds as if, read it, it sounds as if they haven't seen each other in a little bit and they had no expectations of seeing each other in time real soon. And we, uh, and we know the rest of the story. Um, you may know what happens. She goes in, and I'll, I'll give a little bit of a spoiler alert, but I'm not going to give all the details. If you haven't read it, read, read the book of Esther. It, it, it's, it's amazing. But, but she goes in and, and she changes uh, the way things are done. The, the Jews are saved uh, through another law. And Mordecai or Haman uh, gets out of there and it's is, is wonderful. But it makes me wonder, like, while she was there, like, debating about going in and talk to the king and, and ask for this, it sounded like a life-threatening thing to come before the king, right? She had to have a lot of people, a lot of voices coming to her and telling her like, hey, no, don't do that. It's not worth it. 
Like this happened in the past and, and guess what happened to them or whatever. Like the people that she, she lived with in there, the other wives or, or, or maybe the, the people taking care of them, the maids. She had voices, the enemy constantly trying to tell her, you know, not to do this. <clears throat> and and I, made, I tried to think like, you know, what kind of voices are we listening to? You know, right? Like, what kind of voices are we listening to? You, you, you look and, and we think like on our table at, at home, you know, in our, in our life, we, we got, you know, we got family, we got friends, and, and maybe you got like media, you're listening to social media or your boss or the government or whatever. There's so many things on the table, right? And it gets cluttered. How many women like cluttered tables? No hands. Interesting. I would have guessed that right? Who likes a clean table, right? Keep the nice kit, the kitchen nice. So, so it was never meant to have, I believe God, God's voice was meant to be the only one on the table. What do we have to do when we have all this clutteredness on the table, like all these voices? We elevate the one true voice and we, we get rid of the rest. I thought about doing that with glass. I thought it'd be kind of cool, but I knew that would kind of be messy then. But <laughs> But some of those need to, those voices that you have in your mind, they need to break and they need to go away. Now, God does use other people. God does use, um, and I understand that, but, but we need to clear our conscience, clear our minds with voices, and we need to listen to the one and true voice, God. Jean Carson <clears throat> wrote a book titled, Her Name is Woman, and, and, and I thought it was... I have not read the whole book, but I found a quote in it that it was really good. is pertaining to Esther, and, and I want to read it to you. Her quote says, God's counterattack was ready. He did not execute it by a supernatural intervention. He did not send Elijah to tell them rain was going to stop. He didn't send a, a, fire, a, a fire flash to flash down. That wasn't this time. No miracle of nature, no angel would save his people. The future of God's people has seldom hung on such a thin thread. God was looking for an instrument, Esther, a human being. Are you willing to give your life? You know, uh, he, he's placed you and me in a strategic place for such a time as this. And God's solution to what's going on in this world, I believe wholeheartedly, is you, is me, is his people. Are you willing to be used? He wants to use us. He wants to use you and me for the solution to, to, to this very uncertain, very hurting world. As a mother, as a father, as a professional, as a laborer, as a, as a customer, as a student, as a neighbor. He has put you on this earth for a reason. For such a time as this. Not a hundred years ago. Not a hundred years from now. For this time. And today with this word um, that I really honestly sensed from God... I just feel a heaviness and, and an urgency for this. An urgency uh, to, for us to just get serious, to wake up, to, to not just hear it, not just say it, but to actually live it. When, when I was thinking about my, my sermon, this, this, this line, uh, the, the saying, for such a time as this, 
came to me months ago. And I think it's for such a time as this. And the church I know has talked about uh, for 2,000 years, has talked about the second coming, right? About it. And, and, and the New Testament has 260 chapters in it, roughly. And there's, there's 318 references that, that references to his second coming. So that's about one in every 30 verses talking about his second coming. And I believe he wants us to understand and, and be prepared, to be prepared. Matthew uh, 24 or 36, I'm reminded of, <clears throat> says, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the son himself. Only the father knows. I found, I found that interesting. It was just a reminder. I was like, wow. And, I, and I'm not saying... <clears throat> I'm not, I'm not going to get deep into this. Um, I'm just saying we're closer than we've ever been, right? We're only getting closer to the second coming. We're only getting closer, and I believe we need to be ready. And I know there's sermons all the time about this, but, but this, this urgency, this feeling, like I just need to share this with you, to wake up, to get on fire for Christ, for such a time as this, everything going on in this world. And, 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 you know, people have been saying this forever, and you may even say this, like, ah, you know, like, he's probably not going to come back tomorrow or even next year, so I'm just going to wait to get serious. I'm going to do some things, and, and I'll, I'll still come to church, but I'm just going to wait to get serious. Guys, you're only fooling yourself. We're only fooling ourselves because if that time ever comes, you're only going to allow the devil to convince you of the same lie. Ah, push it down the road. Push it down the road. The testimony of the gospel, I got to turn into this. The, it, it, it's, it's, it's so powerful. It's there, there were atheists, there were, there were unbelievers, right? There were tax collectors and, and fishermen that didn't believe Jesus. And Jesus walks right up to the tax collector's booth and says, if you want to follow me, he tells them to follow me. And if you want to, you got to lay everything down, everything You have to lay everything down. The gospel, if any man wants to come after me, he has to die, surrender everything. Surrender himself, his life, because he's inviting us into a lifestyle, not just a Sunday morning experience. Not just a Sunday morning experience. I'm inviting you into a lifestyle. <clears throat> because what happens on Judgment Day? What happens on Judgment Day? <clears throat> you know, you're not going to get the, <clears throat> you don't get judged whether you went to church on Sunday or not. I think we need to be reminded of that. Not that I'm discouraging you to come to church, but this should <clears throat> hear me out. You know, listen, if you stand before God and say, you know, I went to church on Sunday, he'll probably say, you know, so did the devil. Ah, well, you know, I, 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 I knew the Bible. So did Satan. I even trembled. The Bible says even the demons tremble. Ah, ah, well, I believed in you. The pastor said, all I have to do is believe in you. Guys, even the fallen angels believe, right? So, so I believe with my heart that, that he's saying that's not just a saying thing. It's a heart thing, right? It's, it's revivals. It's dying to self and reviving in Christ, living for Christ, which means there's another level than just believing. We change. We change. 
and, and this is just a thought that I had while I was studying, um, and I'll get on that a little bit more, but while I was studying, I was just like, you know what? I wonder if God is, is up there sometimes like, man, like you, you know, you know, every, you know, every quarterback out there, you know, every running back yet, yet you don't know who Habakkuk is, or you don't know who Ezekiel is or Jeremiah. Uh, you don't even know the 12 disciples yet. You can name every football team or every soccer team or every baseball team. You can't even name your kids. I mean, I have a hard enough time. Like, remember which kid I'm talking to. I'm telling you, like, it's bad sometimes. But I wonder sometimes, he's like, man, like, you know, you, you can name every football team. But what do you know about God? What do we know about God? And I'm reminded of another verse, Matthew 7, 27, uh, 21 through 23, which reads, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, 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 I will enter the kingdom of God. Only those who actually do the will of his Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Dude, that should rock us. Like that should be enough to shake us up and draw us closer to God, right? And maybe we ought to give some homework and we should all go out and do a study on what God's law is, right? And, and, and pursue that. Look, I, I, I just don't want to get to judgment day and, and stand before God and say, for him to say, like, you, you never spread the gospel. You didn't, you didn't look like me. You didn't act like me. You didn't talk like me. You didn't walk like me. You, you didn't baptize. You didn't, you didn't make disciples, right? You didn't cast out demons. You didn't do any of this stuff that, that I was calling you to do. And, and in fact, you didn't, you didn't really do a whole lot. What, what, why did you call yourself? Why do you think you made yourself call yourself a Christian? Oh, well, I went to church on Sunday. Friends, this is not, this, this, this is not um, going to cut it. <clears throat> it. It's not enough to get in. And, we, and, and now, it's not works, right? We get that. Like, can we all agree with that? It's not works. Um, it, it's often works that prove we've been born again. It doesn't gain us salvation. You can't earn it. It's, it's by grace, lest any man should boast. But it's a life change that happens inside of me. And it's actually, uh, actually the way I do life changes. The decisions I make changes. My focus changes. And look, if you're, if you're maybe sitting up there a little, or sitting out there like a little uncomfortable, maybe upset with what I'm saying, like, I, I, I'm sorry, but I, I really feel, I really sense this is what I need to share. It's time. It's time for us to, to take Christianity seriously. And, and, and I'd, rather, <laughs> I'd rather have you dislike me now and love me in heaven than, than, than love me now and hate me in hell. Can I say that again? Like, I'd rather have you, like, really, like, be upset with me now and, like, and, and get to heaven and be excited because I'm speaking the truth and understanding than actually, like, oh, I water everything down and, and, and you kind of think everything's hunkadory and, and really be upset with me someday. And trust me, you can ask my wife, she'll testify to this. I am not one for conflict, right? I, I'm a people pleaser and I, I want everyone to like me too much sometimes. And, and I constantly, I gotta, I'm telling you, I, I just, 
I just can't sit back and, and, and watch if there's people that think they're on the, the narrow road when realistically they're on the broad road, right? And I'm not up here trying to pretend that I'm perfect <laughs> at all. God is constantly reminding me, Scott, you're not exactly where you need to be. But it's, it's a journey. And I don't want to, to underestimate the cost. I don't want you to either. It's everything. It's everything. The cost is everything. And it's by God's power for such a time as this. I'm going to invite Mike to come up and start playing, and we're going we're gonna to wrap this up soon. But that was really heavy on my heart. But I also have a, like, it's not all a doom and gloom. It's not all doom and gloom. I, I truly believe, even with these crazy times and uh, uh, living in, in these times, I truly believe that the best for, for his people, for us, is yet to come. I'm going to change my tone a little bit here. You may have been getting a little like half depressed. And now like I'm telling you, there's good news. Luke Weaver, uh, the director of YWAM Lancaster, he, he just shared a message a couple weeks back and, and just shared how us here in Lancaster County have been so blessed in, in, in history about it and, and just how, how we've, we've been so blessed financially and blessed with freedom, blessed with, with Christianity and, and God has really touched it. And, and it's amazing. If you, if you guys don't know, you guys are blessed. We are blessed. But that also comes with a huge responsibility. Huge responsibility, which is awesome. God has blessed us and he has put us in this position, in this place for a reason. Like that is awesome for such a time as this. Such a time as this. Like, and it's not just the, the buy four wheelers and cabins, right? Friends, there is a movement happening. You, you, you may start hearing it more and more. There's a movement happening, awakening happening in God's people across the region, right? Across the globe. And I believe it's because the harvest is ripe. It is ripe. People who would have never given time to uh, God, the time of day, are now turning and, and, and coming to Christ. We, you, you heard Brad and Irma share a number of weeks ago about when they were overseas and seeing miracles and salvations. Like it's happening out there. We don't hear about it enough, and it's happening here. There's a young generation. Brad just shared this morning about a garden spot, and, and I've been hearing that all over before last night. And there is, there is a new generation rising up and getting serious, getting down and saying, you know what? I'm sold out. I'm, I'm, all, I'm, I'm all in for Christ. And that still might mean for you to be doing what you're doing, but just doing it a little bit differently. I think God just wants our heart and he wants us to be available, right? Not to be perfect, to be willing. Sure, we strive for that. We strive to be like Christ. I'm not gonna get deep into this as I already mentioned a little bit, but there are much smarter men than me that have done exhaustive studies on this about the, the end times and, and things that come and like David Jeremiah and there's many others um, that have done research on what has to happen in order for Christ to come back. And let me tell you, they're finding out there is not much that needs to happen. It could happen any day, right? We, we know that. That's part of my urgency is that. And my urgency, my sense of urgency is, is not only just Christ coming back, but just urgency because this, this harvest is ripe. It's time. Like it's time to get real. 
It's time to go out there and just share his gospel. And I think God really wants to use this church, use his church, use us in a powerful way. He's calling you and me who would do faithful battle against the principalities and rule in against the darkness of the world, against the spirit of wickedness in high places. And he's calling you to take a stand. calling you and me to take a stand. Sorry, I think the reason I'm being so emotional right now is because he's telling me to take a stand. God, he, God, he wants our heart. He wants all of us to take a stand, including me. For what's right, to do his will. <clears throat> you don't want to sell yourself short. Guys, the, the harvest is ripe. And he's calling us to take a stand for such a time as this. There's a hurting world out there in uncertainty. And I think God. He's already doing something in me. And I think he wants to do something in all of us. So let's just go to prayer. Um, you guys will close your eyes. Lord, we... Father, we just want to be where you are. God, I don't even know what kind of order call this is. I don't even know what this looks like. I'm supposed to what I'm supposed to do exactly, but God, I pray that you would change us today, change us right now. Lord, take us out. And I'm so tired of, uh, of this box that I've been putting you in. I'm so tired of, of, of limiting you. And God, I pray that you would just use us, speak to us, break us out, change our marriage, change our, 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 our family, open up our eyes to, to you this morning. <clears throat> Help me to care more about your kingdom than, than the things on this earth. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that you would deliver someone here from anxiety and stress. I pray that you would deliver somebody here this morning from addiction. <clears throat> and God, you would show up in a powerful way as you are. God, remind us of, of where we are, were without you. In the name of Jesus, do what only you can do. 
And I really sense that God's telling us just to make room for him right now. <clears throat> so I'm gonna ask everyone to rise, close your eyes, bow your heads, and let's make a stand. Let's take a stand and, and let's just all in our own words, you don't have to repeat after me, but just say, God, I'm making room for you this morning. God, I'm making room for you right now. I'm making room for you in my family, in my work, in my whatever we're going through, in my school, with my marriage, with my kids. I wanna be a dwelling place for you. I want the power of God alive in my life. I need you, God. We need you, Holy Spirit. Fill us right now. And as we close with a song, <clears throat> I'm gonna invite, um, invite the worship or prayer team, if they're willing to come up, maybe the pastors and just stand up here. If you want prayer, <clears throat> no, not just if you want prayer. If you're feeling a tug, I ask for you to come up. <clears throat> for such a time as this, if you need to make something right, if you just need to give something to God, if you need to, uh, if you're coming for someone else, it doesn't matter. Just be obedient. God wants to continue to move. I'm making more room for you, God. Don't sell yourself short. I'm making more room for you, God. For such a time as this. <clears throat>